0: Welcome to Episode 7 of the MSA Podcast Production, a digital media exploration of the Mississippi School of the Arts. Creative Expression is the flagship podcast program for Mississippi School of the Arts and is the idea that every artist has the freedom to share their life story in their own way. In this podcast series, connect with our guests as they share their experiences, offer advice, and inspire us all. In this episode, Mississippi School of the Arts welcomes Michael Roy, a first-year visual arts graduate of MSA and an accomplished muralist on an international level. Join Suzanne Hirsch, executive director, in conversation with Michael after a recent awards day ceremony.
1: Hi! (laughs) We're here with uh, Michael Roy, or also known as Opie when he was a student here at MSA. Uh, Michael is an artist who has made a living around the world, leaving his mark on walls all over the place as a muralist, as well as a visual artist with exhibits and showcases, creating original work, and also contributing to magazines. And today, at our awards day, uh, we recognize Michael as our Alumni Hall of Fame for 2019. So welcome, Michael.
2: Hey, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: So um, being Alumni Hall of Fame, what do you think that means for you, thinking about your experience with MSA now?
2: I don't know. I mean, I was thinking about it a lot driving in. It's surreal. It's always surreal to come back to the campus and you know it's it's humbling to receive an award but as like a mississippian you're just terribly ashamed to get an award i, I think you know when someone wants to like do something that nice you kind of just want to apologize for for having shown up at all um <laughs> i'm i'm very appreciative and i did notice with my dad um when things like msa or uh Anything within the state of Mississippi, if I get recognized in Mississippi, it means a whole lot to him and it means a lot to my family in a way that other uh, accolades don't. And that made me think about how important it is where you come from and how uh, how unchangeable that is. So I'm from Mississippi and that's that's something that's written about me before I, I begin doing anything. And so the fact that like Your relationship with that can be one that people, like, are really, like, appreciative of you makes you feel extremely uh, grateful and embarrassed uh, as a Southerner just because it's it's awkward to accept awards. But, yeah.
1: But I think sometimes, you know, a lot of the time in, in Mississippi, we might look past our local artists or the people who are from our own state not thinking about the success they've had. And I think that's probably why your family sees that as such an amazing thing. Because we take it for granted a lot of the time. The artists that have come out of this state that are still here and making work and, and doing extraordinary things, a lot of the time we take it for granted because they're living right here. And you travel the world doing your work. Um, you know, They don't get to see you doing all of that as much, maybe.
2: Maybe so. I mean, I do think. I think, mississippi's highest export is young creatives and you see them everywhere you go i went when i was in new york i was in a room full of mississippians at one point at an art show and they're just camouflaged in i think because of what we talked about earlier in mississippi not necessarily having the infrastructure for these job fields uh they go out and you don't necessarily see them working in mississippi you're right but then anytime you're in a large city you know there's a strange uh, underpinning of Mississippians secretly like living lives, uh, so it's it's nice to go back and and tie those like disparate narratives together. It's like they are Mississippians, I am Mississippian.
1: Do they still have the? um central park mississippi day have you heard of that
2: <laughs> i haven't i'd um, be afraid to go
1: back in the early 2000s i know it lasted at least a decade it may still be going on i don't know but in june every year central park um people from mississippi would go up and have a big catfish and greens <laughs> and cookout and barbecue oh, that sounds and wonderful. Twenty thousand mississippians would show up in central park to see each other and I would go whenever I was working at another institution, just to see the the MS the Mississippi yeah. uh, alumni and everything. And that was going on in June. So I'm curious if that oh I if hope you ever that because they estimated it was around twenty thousand people from Mississippi who were living in New York City.
2: Of course, Mississippians move; they move around a lot. Um,
1: but I think the growing up here can really inform work. In such a way that so many people don't understand if they didn't grow up in a place like this would you agree with that oh
2: I absolutely agree with that Um, like it's it's dangerous talking in like uh, generalities but I really like southerners when I'm in uh, big cities or just different places there's a there's a context and an understanding to them that seems to work whenever i'm in other places there can be like a lack of uh nuance to their understanding of like race or economic disparity or just things that like are in the water in mississippi that we you know we take as a negative but it does make a a fully rounded human in some ways with experience and like a way of seeing the world that I've come to really appreciate, you know, you never appreciate where you're from until you leave. And then you go to New York and you hang out with a group of people who have been in the Northeast all their lives. And you're like, you know, I really like all my liberal friends in Mississippi. Uh, (laughs) I really like Memphis. Um, yeah, I I think there's a reason there's so many great creatives that come out of Mississippi and the literary arts and, more and more from the visual and you know music music obviously uh there, there's something here that makes a very like embryonic ground for creativity well um, there's a
1: connectedness i think to the human um being that maybe you don't get if you're removed from it mississippi does have such an extraordinary history um in in good and bad really um, and I think those that history really can inform us and hopefully make us even better people.
2: I, yeah, I agree, absolutely.
1: So tell me um, what brought you to MSA. You're a first-year grad from MSA, so my, I'm very curious to hear a little bit about how that experience here was. I mean, the rules were not the same. The buildings were not the same. Um, looking around now, I imagine it's quite different. So... Tell me about what brought you here. Why did you choose to come to MSA in the first year as a guinea pig, so to speak?
2: (laughs) Uh, My favorite teacher, I'm still in touch with her, Kathy Murray, she she came in with a pamphlet for the Mississippi School of Arts to the class that I had with her. And she was like, you should look into this. They have a, a literary arts department. You want to be a writer. You should apply to this. And uh, we looked at it, and I showed it to my dad, and I was already semi-literate at this idea just because my best friend at the time, he was gearing up to apply to the Mississippi School of Math and Science. And uh, if he was going there, uh, I should go to one. And so, I mean, that gave me a bit of the confidence, honestly, to want to wanna apply. But I like the idea of it. we didn't have advanced literary classes. We had no visual arts classes at my school. And uh, it's not like I was so in love with my public school at the time, anyway. But it just seemed exciting, and it seemed prestigious. And I think, if nothing else, I was like a student who really like wanted to get, you know, accolades and good grades and awards, and this seemed like a thing like that, and it'd be good for college. So, so I applied on a whim, and then. Once the real applicate, like I expressed a letter of interest, and then they started emailing us, and they were like, well, your senior year, you can be a literary arts major, but we won't have it developed by the first year. So you you have to pick between theater, vocal, or visual. And so I chose visual, but I didn't really uh, have much interest in it. I just drew a lot in class. And so I, I turned, showed up at portfolio day with like 10 pieces of A4 computer paper with drawings of Ninja Turtles and uh, <laughs> like just really uh professional stuff. And then when we showed up everyone had like big leather portfolios and they were carrying like large ceramic pieces and my dad started laughing and he was like, Well, we ain't going here and I was like, Nah, we ain't going here And I guess the school was had a low application rate. Like <laughs> I would like to say like they just saw the potential, but they had a very low application rate that first year. Yeah, and uh, so I got in. Everyone got in.
1: Um, Well, when it was first starting, it was probably hard sell to a lot of parents. It was
2: a it was terrifying. Once a school has its name said enough times, you get comfortable with it. MSMS is not something kids questioned or their parents questioned, but MSA was just like you know. It could go defunct in two months. We have no idea. Like, right. And anytime you're working with the arts in Mississippi, the stereotype is like, the money will be taken away, uh, and so there was that fear. Um, but it was it was the greatest decision I ever made, at least you know, professionally, because, I, I like the whole career field I'm in and been in for the last, fifteen years is. Because they didn't have a literary department here, um, it's just uh, it's silly, you know. You can have a really good hockey player in Mississippi, but if, if there's no ice, uh, you won't know. Right. And so there's a lot of students who like maybe are good at visual or vocal arts or proficient, and their school doesn't have a, a way they can perform or exercise that. So it was a, a godspell. Um, Yeah, but that's why I came here. It was totally co-opted dreams of my friend who was going to MSMS and a teacher who uh, understood what the impact would be more than I did at the time. Me just going on blind faith that they would steer me correct.
1: And it worked out.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's great.
1: So you no. left here, you finished in visual art. You stayed in visual for the whole two years you were here? Did you switch to literary this <laughs> Literary never opened up. It didn't. No, That's right, lied. it opened in 2008, <laughs> didn't yeah. it? You were gone they for a They would say years.
2: anything to get you to sign up. At that point. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you can be a, a fisherman next year if you just, just come on. <laughs> but it was great. I really fell in love with visual arts, and we had just unlimited supplies, so I went from not having ever painted to just working with tremendous amounts of oil paint on fancy canvas with like Miss O'Hara, uh, showing me everything that everything did. I didn't know how to do anything. The first day we had a painting class and we had a critique, I wouldn't admit that it was my painting because I didn't want, uh, I was embarrassed. And so there was one piece of it and she was like, no one's going to claim this piece. Just everyone was quiet. And I, like, slurked out, and she was like, I know, it was yours. We only got seven students.
1: Like <laughs> it's kind of hard to hide. But
2: she was very, like, patient about it. Like, she didn't call me out. She was like, I guess no one knows. <laughs> and then she would talk to me after <laughs> class. Um, but it was a lucky place to start into a field like that, because it could have been so much could have been terrifying and embarrassing that first year. I was learning so many things, and I was so unaware, and I was constantly shown of my, like, naivety But the school itself was really warm. The faculty was warm. And it, you know, just like what I see in the kids downstairs right now. It just gives you a place to, like, grow comfortable with yourself. And at that age, most people are having a lot of problems with that. Yeah, Um, and I
1: think the warmth is still here. You can feel it when you get to know any of the teachers that work here and the staff. You can
2: hear it in the way the the students hoot and holler at the awards ceremony. That's right. That's that's stuff you do in front of family. That's not how you act in public. So they must feel like they're at home they do Um, and they call
1: it home they they say i'm going back to my house (laughs) (laughs) or i'm going home um whenever they talk about going to their room so it it does feel very and there are similarities there today we have a larger application pool and it is a little more competitive um we average around a 45 percent acceptance rate now That's of the applications that come in but we still do have room for those students who don't have the arts experience if they have a potential if they can show it to us and you know follow the instructions and do the preparation work and we have students who've taught themselves how to draw on youtube and sang in their choir at their church and and so that's their experience when they get here but then we take that raw talent and they go in there with the students who might have had that training and they end up coming out everybody is is finding their own voice so it's really fun Um, so tell me you finished msa Mm. and you went to memphis correct is that where you went to college for your bfa and uh tell me about that experience um
2: Got a scholarship uh, last minute from from MCA uh, right as I was going home from MSA and so I went to Memphis College of Arts for four years. It was it was a good time. I enjoyed it. Had a lot of good teachers and it was a step up uh, population wise. So it was a good like it's a good city to start a career in because it's it's bigger and it had the kind of had the culture of art in a way that like my hometown didn't, or Brookhaven doesn't, just because of population limitations. And so it was, a, it was a nice place to start. I really love Memphis as well. I still go back there a whole lot. Um, but I graduated and I wasn't happy with my work at that moment. I wasn't, I had no idea what what I was gonna do for a career. The whole like, uh, re- economic recession kind of hit right when I was graduating and already had a an abstract job security when you have like a bachelor in fine arts and a minor in art history. That's not the strongest uh, thing on paper. And so I didn't know what to do and so I, I moved to Korea to teach English for a year just because I knew I had, to, I had to break the rhythm of everything. I didn't know what to do. And uh, that was a really cool move. I I did that and then I started teaching art at a university the next year and then I started working for some magazines for two more years and that was all in Korea and uh, it really picked up and it got me out of this mindset that I had to I think when I was in college I thought I had to go this specific route to having an art career. I had to have body of work that matched and I had to pitch it to galleries and then you do group shows for a while and then you maybe do a solo show and then you know it was this this storyline that I think I had made up in my head more than they taught me but it was just it wasn't the way my career was going to work out so I went there and I, I stopped stressing out so much and I started doing graffiti with some Korean uh, painters and I just it was fun, and then I just kept doing it, and that sort of accidentally became a career. Um, but it's it's the most random way. like your career might happen the most random way. The only actual advice is like to never stop working. Um, so I went to art school, and then everything after that was almost completely unrelated to you know I'd had six years of art school and all that has helped me but it helped me in this way that's like hard to explain it's it's the experience but it doesn't give you a path you still have to like just live for a while and then you'll have that in your back pocket one day
1: well and that's the thing I've learned being in the arts for as long as I've been uh, around is I don't know anybody who had the same path as another person everybody just kept following their instincts and kept working and open the door and go in, (laughs) (laughs) you You just keep working and keep taking those opportunities and things work out. You just, it's when you let fear creep in and you hold yourself back.
2: Fear and comfort. Right. Terrifying. Yes. A lot of people say they like want an art career and, uh, you know, you want an art career, but you also would like, like a nice home um and it's good to have a nice home but you might not have that at first like if you're willing to like put nothing in front of your art career at least at first i think it's inevitable that something will work out Mm -hmm. Um, advice is always like a, a hard thing to give because when you're giving advice you're telling people how to live the life you lived but that's rarely good advice um so, like, when people ask me, like, oh, "How do you get into murals?" I said, like, "You got to go to Korea
1: <laughs> and teach <laughs> English. You have
2: to teach English for a year." Uh, and they're like, "That doesn't make sense." And, no, no, you're right.
1: Um, well, your your career is uncommon. I mean, to build a, a life making murals around the world, it's really unusual. Maybe. So, I
2: I have an inflated sense of its commonness. Really? Because all my friends do it. Do it too. <laughs> uh, so okay.
1: You do have a very collaborative network.
2: In my head, there's more muralists than nurses. I'm <laughs> sure that's not true, <laughs> but it feels like that. Um, in your
1: bubble, in, your, in yeah. your world, yeah. But I mean, I
2: think that's the reassuring thing. Is like, Even things that you find are uncommon or like hard to get jobs, like anything in an art field, there's actually just thousands and thousands of people doing it. And there's always more room. Um, there's always more room. I think the way like job fields work and the way like sort of capitalism can work is that you you think of people who do the same thing as you as, as competition, but if you can break that habit and you think of them as like people that are like you, um, your career goes all right. It's like it's very good to lean on the same people who are you know have similar values as you. So, I collaborate all the time, and sometimes it costs me half of my money, and it always comes back to be worth a lot more than that, because mm. you, you do a solid favor for someone in Chicago, and then before you know it, you have a solo show in Chicago that, through a weird chain of events, you wouldn't have if you hadn't uh, done a favor for this person for no reason, and the same thing goes back and forth. I like. I invite four artists a year to come to Memphis. They get paid. They have an artist in residency. They paint a wall, um, and I don't. I don't get paid for it, but that's the more important part of the culture, and the more important part I'm finding about having a life in art is like it's good to focus on the career side and all of that. But you don't want to get old and think, "Well, I made a career." Um, like you want to make a lot of things you want to make relationships and friendships and you want to love and spread love and if you can do all of that and then you were able to keep a career so you ate the whole time well then that's like a really good solution but like i can be terrified if i think i'm getting too much into the the idea of it being a career or a brand or like just out like putting output to keep myself like monetarily afloat because you know, you'll be fifty and you'll be like, Oh, I've I have not done very much fun stuff. So um, I don't I think and that all goes back somehow to MSA and like the whole student body is creatives and it's one thing to wanna be like the best grade in class, but you don't look back to your memories and think about how you were the best in class. That's right. You think about like those friendships. Um, but MSA like sort of gives you the guidelines to all of that at a very young stage, and then if you can just mimic that and maybe like act a little more mature each year, you're you're all right. Um, like I just went on a trip to to paint, and I invited um, MSA alumni with me, and it made the trip more. It made the trip 10 times more memorable, 10 times better. And I lost significant money. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been cheaper to go alone. Um, But, you know, it would have been terrible. Right. It's way better.
1: It's seeing the value in life, not the monetary value, but the value of life and living it. Mm
2: -hmm. Just thinking about all those funerals, I usually don't think, in such cheesy ways, but funerals will make you very cheesy. Yeah. Um, but, you know.
1: So how do you build? I mean, you've got real connections that you've made over the years and the relationships you've built. That takes effort. It does, to maintain those relationships for so long. So, I mean, what, what do you do to keep that network alive?
2: I, uh, I message people
1: just I contact, contact I mean
2: I make it a part of my schedule um, like it doesn't have to be like I don't really like writing rushed letters or like I'll write someone a letter sometimes if I think about it or uh, like I'll do these like journal entries when I'm thinking about one thing and I'll send it to certain people I think might have a reply to it but I, tr- I try not to make it feel forest i send 30 postcards a month probably wow and they might not have any writing on it but i think it's fun to send people physical visual gifts um you know that has has no value other than like you weren't expecting mel today so, when
1: I mean, you made somebody smile. Yeah,
2: oh, yeah. or maybe you're gonna they make hated them think, it, "Oh, that's
1: cool." No, I mean nobody's gonna get it in the mail and think, uh oh, There's
2: just so many you meet. That so Michael many send people, me another postcard. <laughs> you meet so many people in the world these days, and you're so hyper connected that I think like little gestures outside of social media, uh, like matter, and it's it's nice. Um, I know I really enjoy it when people, like I wasn't expecting, message me out of the blue. And so I try to take a time, like a day off each week where I don't make as much work, but I go and look at all my friends' artworks and just check in on their career. Because it's 2019, like everyone works 80 hours a week. Everyone's like Hustling in a way that's never been seen before, everyone's like self obsessed because we have to be uh to be like uh to make money in the arts anymore you're your own social media manager you're you're doing all these other jobs, and you know that's all important, but it can take a lot away from you and a lot of from your personhood and it's good to spend a day like caring about other people's like careers that they're going on. Because it means so much to the person doing the career. Uh, and I think people appreciate just little messages about how their artwork's going or something like that. And like, I, I just like it. I like their artwork. When I started doing graffiti, I didn't think there was any money ever to be made by it. And that why, it was why it was fun. It was like, no more stress. Like I'll never be in a gallery. I'll just do this stuff. But if I can impress junk House with this drawing, that would be awesome. I'll spend like $100 this week on my own paint and paint and take a photo. And if she mentions that she likes it, this is a great week. And, like, you know, if you're part of that community, then you want to give that to other people. And if, you know, maybe they care about what you say, then uh, it's nice to show up and care uh, right. about what they made. If it's not fun and if you aren't trying to impress friends, I don't know what the, the end goal is because there's better ways to make money, frankly speaking. Like, <laughs> there's, you can be like something far less fulfilling <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can make a whole lot a more money. A lot more money, money right. Um, so but happiness
1: is not, is not always connected to Yeah, that.
2: I just, right. I do feel like a lot of people talk about their art career and they forget that part where they're like, and then and then I can make this, I'm going to make this, and we're going to make this money, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but if that's the only goal, like this is a dumb way to make money. You can make money. I, I, like, I'm right. happy, I, I'm very comfortable, um, I'm not about to starve if I don't work for the next year. Uh, but that's like, that's half the goal. And you can get lost chasing that half. So I think it's really important to like, make sure you message all your connections and your friends and like the people in your industry because that's that's half your payment it's like getting to have them as friends Mm -hmm. um so if you think of them as just like connections or affiliates and just what they can do for you you're Mm -hmm. like wasting half of your payment like you're you're wasting because they're all incredible people um like the people who get into the arts and manage to stay afloat in the arts um besides me are like are hard workers and like they have incredibly cool uh character because the you don't get that far in that industry without being like a pretty a pretty hard worker and a devoted artist and you know you they connect to people and People respond to the work and that's because they like, put themselves into it. Um, so it's like, you know, I get to message Synrock Rock or Nosy and there's people who are nervous talking to them. So like, I have a friendly relationship with them. How cool is that? Like, I'm still a, f- a fan of all of them. So like, yeah. I, like I'm taking advantage of the, <laughs> the fact that I can bother them at two in the morning. <laughs>
1: um, so what's been your favorite project that you've done over the years?
2: Oh, I don't if know. If you
1: were to look back and say this is the thing that makes me the most proud or made me so happy to do it. I feel like I
2: have to say the MSA mural. <laughs> I don't think I have a choice. Um, no, you don't have to say that. <laughs> uh yeah, but the MSA mural was it was the most out of body experience. It's very odd painting on the school. I know. Um, <laughs> you were really,
1: probably yelled at for a lot. I um,
2: I really enjoyed it. Um I'm glad I waited like 12 years or 13, it would have been a lot worse had I painted it senior year. <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's just been a lot of cool jobs that I've been really lucky to do. Um, it was interesting painting in El Salvador last year and just having a strange culture shock of, um, like I was, comparatively poor person hanging out with extremely rich people but then I'm from a a extremely rich country in a comparatively poor country and so it's this Mm. double shock of like me being uh, uppity because the rich people were acting rich and I'm poor and so we don't we don't have the same like way of dealing with situations and then me being extremely bourgeois and not being upset because I couldn't use Wi-Fi for a few days straight. Uh, so it's like just self-loathing on both sides, but an incredible experience where um, I'm getting to paint in a place that, like, I would have never guessed I'd have any relationship with it. And I had a security guard with me with a shotgun who was sleeping the whole time at the wall, and uh, so many nice people. The graffiti kids there were like some of the hardest working and humble and talented people I've ever met. And the things they deal with are just so, make every one of my problems seem so silly. Like graffiti in El Salvador, if you're caught, will be labeled gang. And they have a big problem with gangs in El Salvador. And the way the government treats it is, if you get caught in a gang, your family is put on a list and then they if they apply to a job and they research their name and they didn't realize your cousin got caught doing graffiti, then you're assumed to be in a gang too and you won't get a job so like wow. there's an extreme amount of responsibility about having a like a mural career and then like somehow getting caught by their own cop or someone like you can mess up your entire family and so for them to like still want to make art in a place that can be so oppressive um it makes like their understanding of art is so much less flippant than ours like it's something that's extremely thought out and, and like politicized and powerful like there was a graffiti uh, crew i met and to be in the graffiti crew you had to have a job and within two months you had to have a car and like that was the top graffiti the oldest graffiti member was making to where like when you talk to him about his graffiti career like y'all are all great painters and he was like all of them own houses now and like he was it's about bettering your life and Mm -hmm. your position in the community and being like a light in the community and it was Mm -hmm. just there was a heaviness on which they took their career that was very awe-inspiring for me Mm. um so, I mean, I'd say that's the most memorable recently, um, just because of the people and the way they can, what art culture could mean in a time when like, it's not like we're in some way so saturated with it that we don't think about it. Right. Um, but yeah, art can be so much more.
1: It can be transformative for sure. And, and I think seeing the students come in here and how that experience transforms them as human beings and students, not just compartmentalizing every aspect of life, but that it permeates everything they do. Mm. It, it's really something that you see physically. You can see it in the <laughs> students when they're here. Um, and I think when they leave, they feel like they are comfortable in their own skin, which is part of what we need to do as educators. Absolutely. So tell me, wh- what is next? Where are you headed after here?
2: Oh, I've got to make some canvases. I got a I got a a duo show in Denver in like September and I got a solo show in Chicago in November. So Wow, okay. I've got to get a lot of canvas work done because August to October are all like mural festivals. So I'll be in Denver again and Michigan and Minnesota. And then I might be hosting an international festival in Memphis in October. Um, and so all that time, she's gonna go by really fast. There's gonna be no free time. So if I don't get all the paintings sort of done before August, I'm in trouble. So I need to do that, but it's, uh, it's hard. It's just, it's hard sitting Keep in a lot of balls in the
1: air. You don't what? sit still.
2: <laughs> and then when you sit still, you feel like you're going crazy. Because you
1: should be going somewhere doing something. I was telling
2: you, yeah. you either feel like you have too much work or you have no work and you're never having work again. You never feel like this is the right amount today. <laughs> um, so I'm, do, I'm doing some little small projects on the side. I'm designing some beer, uh, beer labels for a microbrewery in Memphis and finishing up some design work for a restaurant in Tupelo and doing the cover of a, a magazine called Memphis Parent. Just little stuff. Um, taking it easy for now. Working on these canvases. I've got to make like 35 of them before August.
1: Well, if people want follow to follow your career or your work, um, what's the best way? Twitter? They website? Sh- they should Facebook? They
2: um, <laughs> I would be upset if they followed me. Uh, Instagram I probably mess with the most. It's uh, at bird cap but it's it's pretty boring it's just cartoons back to back to back um and then like political rants on the story uh yeah
1: yeah your cartoons while they may seem fun and lots of energy there's always a real message in your work isn't there uh a lot of the time anyway sometimes
2: i I, i'd say in the best situations it does um, I draw habitually, though, Like, and I don't like the idea of like forcing yourself to make a point. So some days I, I want to talk about something personal, or some days I want to talk about something political, and sometimes I wake up and I don't have any good ideas and I still have to draw. So um, I like to hope that usually I've figured out something to draw about, but if not, there will be drawings that are just... Uh, slapstick nothingness. Uh, I think I think when you get pressured to like make it mean something that's when you get the most like pedantic like heavy-handed contrived contrived (laughs) nonsense. Um, That's kind of and I'll go really bad in that way like that's when I'm most ashamed of my old stuff as you look back and be like oh yeah I really wanted to say something but I didn't actually have any information <laughs> so I just try to let it happen usually though I mean you know a lot of its personal and a lot of its political I guess
1: or contextual I mean I think when you look at the piece that you did here you know you were looking for, for the at the Phoenix and the story of the Phoenix and the book that you read about it and that's kind of what informed the egg and the, the skeleton and the flight and all of those things that oh, you yeah. put on the wall and on our campus it wasn't just a, a bird no you no. know there was something was also, behind it
2: that was a job so
1: yeah it was Jobs but I it must, makes it more interesting right to do that i think, well, that kind I of think of research.
2: so i mean there's different schools of thought on what makes art interesting i'm sure to you for me <laughs> uh, i i like the idea of illustration i like i like narrative and i like the work to like illuminate a narrative or just you know speak to a narrative in ways that words don't the problem with words is like when you talk about like like at that funeral that was that they talk about omar and they said like omar was like a, a very loving sort of dude so you know, omar is love and if love is god then you seeing omar was seeing god that sounds great but it's also like you've heard these words so much that they have a blunt end on them like you the meaning is vast you're feeling from it is minimal and uh, it's a shame but that's how so much is like we have so much knowledge and we feel so little of the knowledge like with our body and with our emotions that the I think that's the the purpose of visual and theater and, and vocal it's it's to sh- it's to put the sharp edge on things that text alone can't give us anymore because we're right. so like Obliterated emotionally mm-hmm. from from text. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I want my work to like hopefully like get some emotion back and let you feel something from things that we all know but we can no longer feel. Um,
1: yeah, it's a very very different way of approaching the world, and I really appreciate it. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we close for the day? Mm,
2: that, was, that question never goes well. Uh, no, I really appreciate the school. I appreciate the students. Uh, seeing them, like you were saying, it must look so different. It looks so similar. <laughs> like, you're just the student 15 body, years later, right? Like, it's like the same archetypes of students yeah, are walking right. these halls. And I see myself and I see my friends. Uh, and I'm just really glad it exists. And there's so much to be negative about in, in the news and in, in just so much. You grow old and you see a lot of negatives. You don't see all the positives and I'm sure there's a billion of them, but this school staying here and growing is like a really big positive that I can really like, um, take a lot of pride and appreciation and um, The school is, is easily one of the most important things that uh, I was ever lucky enough to wander into. It felt like I really wandered into it, but uh, yeah. So I appreciate y'all. Appreciate we appreciate
1: you, Michael. Well, I'm Suzanne Hirsch, and I'm the executive director here at the Mississippi School of the Arts, and we are, Happy to have had Michael Roy today, one of our first year graduates, now an international muralist. So watch for his work and follow him on Instagram at birdcap. All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Creative Expression the digital venue for artists to share their stories. Stay tuned to the series as we continue to incorporate digital media artistry into life at Mississippi School of the Arts. Our podcasts are available on Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, and Stitcher. Launch our website, podcast.msabrookhaven.org where you can find information about MSA and specifically, our podcasting series. Join us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MSA Brookhaven. Until next time, Mississippi School of the Arts in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Now we rise, we fly, we shine.